Welcome and good morning, everybody. My name is Justin. I am one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege of speaking this morning as we are in week three of our series on Colossians called Counterfeit. And we're going to be in and around chapter three this morning. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, pull it up on your device, that's kind of what we're going to be hovering around this morning. But if you missed the last couple of weeks, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to the first two chapters that Pastor Todd walked us through in these last couple of weeks, because uh, he actually made this point in week one, but it's important for us to remember that Colossians is a letter, right? We talk about it as a book, and we have it divided up in chapters, but ultimately it was a letter that was meant to be read all at once, and we kind of want to keep that context of the whole of Colossians together, because if we jump right into chapter three this morning and take it out of context, it it really can just kind of seem like a to-do list. Here's things you don't do. Here's things you do do. But it really is so much more than that this morning. And so I want to make sure that we, we kind of rewind a little bit. And we pull some of those principles, especially from chapter 1, into what we're talking about this morning. Because Colossians as a whole, it really helps us to understand the truth, what we believe, how we live, how all those things are connected, and why counterfeit teaching or beliefs are so dangerous to all of that. And so what we've talked about these last couple of weeks, about those things, the truth of who God is and who we are because of what he's done, how that affects how we live, is really important for us this morning. Because we've kind of been talking about some of these foundational principles the last couple of weeks, but this morning we're going to get practical. We're going to talk about how we can really live differently, how we can live like Jesus calls us to live. But we have to understand those underlying principles to be able to change our lives, to even do things like deal with sin that's been lingering around in our lives. And so I'm going to rewind a little bit. I'm going to pick up actually in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10 to start us off this morning. And so you're going to see this verse on the screens, and then in just a second, we're going to kind of dissect it. But Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10 go like this. It says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This verse at first glance doesn't really seem to be anything extraordinary. Paul's kind of almost praying over the Colossians, but He gives kind of this progression of things, this chain of Christian living that really has some powerful principles for us this morning. He talks basically about discipleship and sanctification and how it actually happens in our life. And so you're going to see a diagram on the screens to kind of explain this and to make sure that we pick up on some of the principles here. But basically, it goes like this, right? Knowledge becomes understanding, which affects how we live. Or as Paul says it, how we walk, right? That was kind of the metaphor of the day. We still use this. We talk about our walk with Christ, and really we're referring to, right, our life, how we live and behave and and act like Jesus. And so this idea that knowledge becomes understanding, which affects how we live, really, it's not that radical, right? We all kind of realize this. What we know and understand influences how we live, how we behave. It changes our behavior, and our lifestyle. But what's interesting, too, is in that experience of walking in newness of life, of living out our knowledge and understanding, 
it gives us more knowledge. As we have that experience, it kind of goes back on itself and it feeds the process. And all of this kind of chain of our Christian life, especially the knowledge component, is really based on the truth of who God is and what he's done and who we are because of who God is and what he's done. It's, it's founded on those things. Now, these principles, right, they don't seem like anything extraordinary, but they can have such a powerful impact in just about every area of our life. Like, we know these things are true, right? When, when we want to do something, we have to first learn how to do it. We have to get the knowledge to live it out. And I think all of us, too, would recognize there's a difference between knowledge and understanding. We recognize there's a difference between knowing about something or just receiving information and actually having it internalized, understanding it, being able to do something with it. You know, we even kind of incorporate this into the way we talk or our culture a little bit, right? When somebody doesn't know, or excuse me, when someone does something poorly or incorrectly, right, we say they don't know what they're doing. We recognize there's this connection between what we know and what we do. Now, when someone does something poorly, right, again, we say we don't know what they're doing. And my golf game is a great illustration of this. You know, a couple weeks ago, some folks are chuckling. I gave our golfers in here a hard time. Well, you're in luck. I'm about to give you some ammunition this morning. All right, this is, uh, this is a picture of me driving a golf ball, or I should say attempting to drive a golf ball, because you, you might hear some chuckles in the room. Some of you guys in the back may not be able to realize this, but uh, if you know what a good golf swing looks like, that ain't it. All right, and if you don't know what a good golf swing looks like, let me point out to you that the ball is still on the tee, and the swing has already happened. That's not exactly what's supposed to happen. All right, now to be fair, this was, this was a picture taken by one of my college buddies. This was probably one of my first or second rounds of golf that I ever played. I don't know why he was taking a picture, but this became ammunition for him for the last 10 years that he had this picture uh, laying around. But you can see I didn't know what I was doing. Unfortunately, not much has changed, but I really didn't know what I was doing back then. And so consequently, my drive didn't go very far. In fact, it didn't go anywhere. And that's not what's supposed to happen. But unfortunately, far too often as Christians, we find ourselves stuck on the tee or not getting as far as we should in our Christian lives, that we're not really getting the distance or accomplishing what we should. It, it might be that our goals uh, really become more focused on what we want than what God wants. Or it might be that we get tangled up in a sin that holds us back, makes us feel like we can't do what God calls us to do. Right? There's a variety of things. Maybe it's just we don't feel like we're as disciplined as we should be, and we, we don't get in God's word regularly, and we're just not doing the things that we feel like God wants us to do. And so, so many of us end up struggling with patterns of behavior in our life that we wish that we could change, but we just don't seem to be able to get away from them. We feel like we're stuck, kind of like my golf ball. And churches tend to do a great job of telling us that we should live differently in what we should and we shouldn't do, but we need to know how. And I don't think that we need to be told not to sin again. We need to be told how not to sin. And I'm not talking about being perfect, but how to live a life like Jesus, how to get off the tee, to get a little further down the fairway. And so with that in mind, we're going to pick up in the end of Colossians chapter 2 this morning. Again, we're kind of focusing on chapter 3, but 
these chapter divisions weren't really there in the beginning, so we're going to ignore them, and we're going to jump in at the end of chapter 2, because I think it, it really sets us up for what we're going to be talking about in chapter 3, and these principles that can make a difference in our lives, and helping us to live differently, to find victory over sin, and to really walk the way that God wants us to walk, like Paul was talking about in chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. But picking up in Colossians chapter 2, verse 20 through 23, Paul says this. He says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Look, these verses are a great reason why it's important to keep things in context in Scripture, because if you take these out by yourself, first off, it, it kind of can be a little confusing to know what Paul's saying, but I, I feel like my first kind of inclination is to think Paul's saying something along the lines of, look, if you're a Christian, why are you following rules? Go do whatever you want. And in fact, some people did think that that was what Paul was saying. You actually see that in the book of Romans, especially in Romans chapter 6, because Paul's forced to kind of clarify that that's not what he's saying. He says we shouldn't continue in sin. As Christians, we don't get to just do whatever we want. And so the point that Paul is making here isn't about ignoring rules and doing whatever we want. The point that Paul is making is about ineffective ways of dealing with our behavior. Ineffective ways of dealing with our behavior. And the key to understanding that is right there in those last couple verses of that section that we just read. Paul says those religious rules, those regulations, those things that we kind of try to impose on ourselves, they make it seem like you're doing what's right. They give an appearance of wisdom and like you've got your act together. But they don't actually stop the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, they don't change your heart and mind. Right? They don't actually change the inside of you. He uses this word that we don't use very often, asceticism, right? And asceticism is defined as this. It's severe self-discipline and avoidance of all forms of indulgence, typically for religious reasons, all right? My way of defining this, or really what I think Paul is getting at, is this. It's, it's trying to control our behavior without the underlying knowledge and understanding and heart change, really the transformation inside of us. It goes back to those principles that Paul laid out in chapter one, that knowledge becomes understanding and that affects how we live and how we behave. And our focus, and what Paul's talking about here is that we tend to focus exclusively on the end of that chain. We get so wrapped up in our behavior and we think that as long as we get the end right, as long as we get our act together and we're doing what we're supposed to do, no matter what things look like on the inside, that we kind of, we're good. We, we accomplished what we were supposed to do that we've got it together, and our solutions tend to be focused on restricting or stopping our behavior. And you see this all the time in parenting. I'm guilty of it too. We got a two-year-old, a four-year-old, and a six-year-old at home, but so often as parents, we take the same approach. Think about it, right? When our kids do something wrong, what do we do? We try to stop the behavior. You know, we have a kid who uses their phone to do something they're not supposed to do. What do we do? We take the phone away. 
or we have one of our kids who goes out with a friend and, you know, they get into some things they're not supposed to do, so we ground them and we stop them from seeing their friend. Now, I'm, kids, I'm sorry. I'm not saying don't do those things, parents, but here's the thing. Those things aren't bad, but they can't be all that we do because here's the problem with it. They don't do anything to make our kids the kind of people that don't want to do the things they were doing in the first place. Right? It might stop them from actually doing it, but it doesn't make them the kind of person that doesn't want to do it in the first place. And the same thing is true about the struggles in our own lives and the, the things that we wrestle with. We recognize that bad behavior is bad, and so we want to stop it. But forcing ourselves into good behavior, if we still have the wrong motivations, the wrong knowledge, the wrong understanding, the wrong internal heart and mind change, it's not great either. And it won't last. Because here's the thing. If our heart and our mind aren't being transformed, if we don't have the knowledge and the understanding that undergirds our life, our walk, our behavior, then ultimately our behavior will end up reflecting that again. It's like we're trying to hold down a beach ball that just keeps popping back up. No matter how many times we push it under, it just pops right back up. And so many Christians live like that. And what happens is we grow to kind of accept that battle. That just is how it is, and we just try to manage our behavior and focus on getting our act together and looking as good as we possibly can externally. So we go to church or we give out of a sense of duty because even though we don't really want to, or we don't do those things because we don't want to, and it's just like, I don't know what to do. I don't want to do those things. You know, so we just kind of try to force ourselves to do them as much as we can, or we could talk about a generation of younger Christians that are struggling with things like social media addiction or pornography addiction, and who think that their main tools are basically timers or content filters or maybe an accountability partner. And again, those things aren't bad, but like those rules and those restrictions that we put in place with parenting, it doesn't actually solve the problem. It might prevent the bad behavior, but it doesn't give us the knowledge and the understanding or the change in our heart. It just focuses on the external, which is what religion does. But relationship is about the internal, right? God wants our heart. Jesus wants to be the Lord of that entire chain of our Christian living, over our knowledge, our understanding, and our living. And when we talk about knowledge and understanding, we're kind of talking about thoughts and feelings too, and also our beliefs. Jesus cares about all of it. And he wants to walk with us through those things. And he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he wants to be there to support us and walk through those things. And yet so many Christians are carrying burdens that they feel like are too heavy because they think, I've just got to get my act right. I've got to do these things and behave this way. And they're struggling because the knowledge and the understanding and the heart change aren't really there. And they're trying to white knuckle their way or will their way into looking the way that they think they're supposed to look. But there's another option. And Paul starts to lay it out in chapter three. It was the verses that we actually read in our call and response a little bit earlier. This is kind of the main crux that we're going to focus on this morning, but we'll continue on throughout chapter three. It goes like this. Paul says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. 
This is why it's so important for us to have these principles from chapter one in our mind, because Paul tells us to set our minds on things that are above, and what he's saying, or what his advice is, is that when we're thinking about how we live the Christian life, it's to focus on the beginning of the chain, not the end, right? Because we can focus on either end of that chain, right? We talked about knowledge, understanding, and living, and we can focus on either end. That work in the middle of understanding, of moving knowledge and beliefs into our hearts and souls to really transform us and change how we live, that's God's work. But we have a part in what we know, what we believe, and we have a part in how we behave. And we can choose to focus on either one of those ends of the chain. And I want to make this point. I've mentioned kind of knowledge and beliefs interchangeably here a couple times because really what we believe is in effect knowledge to us. And that includes what we believe about God and what we believe about ourselves. And so what Paul is telling us is that in our struggle with sin, in our attempts to live the Christian life, when he says set your mind on things that are above, he's saying this, focus on your beliefs, not your behaviors. Focus on your beliefs, not behaviors. Focus on the beginning of that chain that we talked about. Because if you understand this chain of Christian living and principles that Paul laid out for us in chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, then you know that how we live, how we walk, it starts with what we know and what we believe. It's the root of those things. Our behaviors start with beliefs. They start with thoughts that become feelings and understanding and then influence how we live and we behave. So our beliefs really are the root of our behaviors. And so if we want to see God change our behaviors, if we want to actually live a transformed life to find victory over sin and to walk the way that Paul and Christ are telling us to walk, we've got to deal with the roots of our behavior in our lives. And those things are the beliefs that we have about God and ourselves. That's where the battle is. Our battle isn't actually with our behavior, it's with our beliefs about God and ourselves. Carlos Whitaker is a, a Christian author and a speaker. He's got some books out there, and he uses a different metaphor for this. He talks actually about this same kind of chain of Christian living or discipleship, however you want to put it. And he, he talks about this in a book called Kill the Spider. And his metaphor for our Christian life is this idea that so often as Christians in dealing with our sin and trying to change our lives to be more disciplined, we, we've got these cobwebs in our life, and we're just trying to kind of clean ourselves up and to sweep them off. But inevitably, what happens? The spider comes back, and it builds more spider webs, and we just have to keep sweeping them away. And so he says, if we want to truly live a transformed life, at some point, we've got to stop sweeping away the spider webs and kill the spider. We have to deal with the root of those things in our lives. And I want to be clear here. I'm not talking about killing the spider to be perfect. I kind of mentioned this a little bit again earlier. We won't be perfect in this life or we, we really what we refer to as glorification in theology. That doesn't happen until we're with Jesus, either because we die or because he comes back. And that's basically what Paul says in verse four, kind of at the end of what we just looked at. He said, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. But church, we should be making progress. It's what we call sanctification. We should be becoming more like Jesus. We should be getting our ball off the tee and a little further down the fairway, right? 
and it helps to realize that the breakdown in our lives, in our behavior, it happens in our beliefs. And most of chapter 3 is Paul's description of these behaviors, these things that we should and shouldn't do, the things that we should put off, and the new things that we should put on. You know, we've got to put away things like sexual immorality and anger, and then in a minute we're going to look at the things that he calls us to put on. But as we look at those things, we have to know that if we want to put away bad behaviors and put on new behaviors, we have to put away bad beliefs and put on new beliefs. Those are the root of our behaviors. What's really interesting is you can actually take advantage of these principles or this truth even if you're not a Christian, right? This is true just in general because this truth about the Christian life applies to change in general. And there are plenty of people in our culture who take advantage of that. You can find all kinds of self-help gurus or life coaches that'll tell you, you know, you're great just like you are. You can be who you want to be, do whatever you want to do. And they actually will help you achieve some results because that truth is still true in just change in general, not just in our Christian life. But I don't know about you, but there just seems something hollow about it. It just seems like it's lacking a little intellectual integrity or like it's cheap because it's great that people out there want to you know, say, you're great just like you are. You can do whatever you want and be whatever you want to be. But what's the basis for it? Is there actually any truth to it? You can tell me I'm a, the best thing in the world and I can believe it, but is it actually true? And as Christians, we have a rock-solid basis for our beliefs, a foundation for our truth. We don't have to invent you know, these narratives about how good we are because the creator of the universe tells us who we are. He tells us who he is, what he's done, and why that impacts us. He's the reality and the truth and the substance and the support for our beliefs, both about him and about ourselves, that we can be rooted in those things. And both of those two areas, beliefs about God and beliefs about ourselves, are primary ways that the enemy attacks us. And they're both things that should be guarded and this is why you see Paul spend time on these things throughout Colossians chapter 1 and 2. And some of the things that Todd talked about over the last couple of weeks of what we should believe about God. You know, really right after those verses that we looked at in uh, chapter 1 verses 9 and 10, Paul launches into one of the, the best kind of descriptions of Christ and of God that we have in the New Testament, right? He talks about Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. In him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, right? That's why he's giving us truths about God, because right after he established these principles, he's giving us some of the knowledge and the truth that we need to fuel that process. And right after he talks about these truths about God, he then transitions into giving us some truths about us as God's people. And if you just take Colossians 1 and 2, and you kind of pick out some of the things that Paul talks about that he kind of peppers in there. He's not even trying, really, other than a very small section of verse or two to talk about us. He's just peppering in these little descriptions about us. If you just take those things, it's pretty amazing. I want you to look at what he says. Just, just the things that are picked out of Colossians chapter 1 and 2. Paul says this. He says that we and that you are saints, faithful, qualified to share in the inheritance, 
delivered from the domain of darkness, transferred to the kingdom of God's beloved son, redeemed, forgiven, reconciled, holy, blameless, above reproach. Christ is in us. We have the hope of glory. We're filled with him. Our hearts are circumcised. We're buried with Christ in baptism, raised with him through faith, made alive together with him. All our trespasses are forgiven and our record of debt has been canceled. That's just the stuff that Paul puts in Colossians 1 and 2. Imagine if you took the whole testimony of Scripture and the things and the beliefs and the truth that God gives us about ourselves. Right? Things like we are priests and ambassadors. We're reconciled. We've been given a new heart, a renewed mind. These are the kinds of things that Paul is telling us to set our minds on to be focused on, to see this knowledge and to let us change it or to let it change us. These aspects of our identity in Christ because they will change us when we truly know and understand them. So Paul goes on, Colossians chapter three, verses 12 through 14. He says this, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Look, I want you to notice how Paul starts this section. This instruction to put on And also, don't miss, Paul adds some more things about us in there, right? He says we're chosen, holy, beloved. But Paul tells us to put on, literally to clothe ourselves in these things, the the kindness, compassionate hearts, humility, meekness, patience. And the idea is that it's literally like clothing that's been laid out for us already. And we just have to put it on and walk in it. That we have to take these truths and these beliefs And put them on and walk in it. Now, I could present kind of these principles this morning and this idea that, you know, if you just focus on your beliefs, if you get those right, then everything else in life is going to fall into place. You'll start acting right. Your behaviors are going to be great. The sins that you're struggling with are going to fall away. But obviously, it's not quite that simple. If it was, we would all mature a lot more quickly and easily than we do. Right? There are things that we need to be aware of as we focus on our beliefs about God and about ourselves. Number one is this. There is an enemy who doesn't want any of this to happen. Right? We see throughout Scripture that he's referred to as an accuser, a liar, and a deceiver. And it's not a coincidence that those are his names because the truths about God and ourselves that we're called to believe are the primary things that he attacks. That's why he goes after these truths. It's why Paul writes so zealously against false teaching and wants to protect what we believe about God and ourselves. That's why Proverbs tells us to guard our hearts because from it flow the wellsprings of life. It's because how we live, how we act, how we behave, it flows out of our beliefs and our heart and our mind. And Satan knows that he, he can corrupt those things and the rest will follow. So we've got to guard our beliefs. Second thing that we've got to know about this process of focusing in on our beliefs about God 
and ourselves and seeing it transform our lives is it takes time, right? It's easy to spell out the principles up here this morning, but learning truths about God, who he's made us to be, what he's done for us, right? Letting him work those things into our lives to really give us understanding and transform us so that we actually begin to live differently and find victory over our sins. That's a lifelong process, right? That's what we talked about as sanctification. And the individual battles that happen as part of that lifelong process, right? Those things take time too. The truths about ourselves, these beliefs are available to us instantly, but it takes time for them to work into us, to see God change our lives and behaviors from them. You know, when a player is traded in the NFL, or when they transfer in college, we've got the transfer portal now. I'm thankful for that because Tennessee's doing great this year because of the transfer portal. So thanks for that. But the thing is, is that when these players change teams, there is a defining moment where they are no longer part of their old team and they are part of their new team. Legally, objectively, however you want to talk about it, at some point they transfer from one team to the other. They are part of the new team, but there's still a process. Right? They still have to put on the uniform of the new team. They've got to learn a new playbook. They've got to learn a new culture and customs. They've got to get to know their teammates. And those things are true for us when we become a part of God's family, when we adopt this new identity. There's a moment in time right, when all of those things that we talked about a moment ago are true about us, but there's still a process in putting them on. Right? Some things we learn quickly, they happen, you know, or they change in our lives very quickly, and other things take time. There might be things in our life, habits or patterns in our brain that need to be renewed in order for us to be transformed. That's kind of what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, about renewing our minds. And what's amazing is science actually kind of supports this. You know, in the last probably 20 years or so, I might be a little off on that, but basically you've seen this talk or rise in discussion about neuroplasticity and the fact that our brains and our neural pathways can literally be rewired to change kind of how we think or how we do things. And so Paul's known that truth for 2,000 years, that if we focus in our mind, we can actually be changed. And science supports that. But here's another thing we need to know. Number three is that it's hard work. It doesn't happen just easily. Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light, but switching to it and staying rooted in it can be difficult, right? Changing our beliefs, adopting new beliefs about God and about ourselves, it takes some time, it takes some practice, especially when we have tendencies to lie to ourselves and there's an enemy out there trying to make it all more difficult, right? We've got to be careful of that. And so with that in mind, there's a couple more things I want to pull out of Colossians chapter three that I think can be helpful for us as we kind of navigate these things in our own lives. And so look with me again. This is verse 14. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. See, if we read Colossians like a to-do list, then we tend to focus on love as the thing that we're supposed to do outwardly. We've got to love God, and we've got to love other people. And those things are true, but that's not all there is to it. Because here's the thing. This also applies to ourselves. We are called to put on love for ourselves. I don't think it's a coincidence. Paul starts that little section of verses that we just looked at with this. He says, 
put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, that he gives us this reminder that we're loved by God and that from that we should love ourselves. And it's important that we don't drop that because as Christians, here's the thing, I think sometimes we start talking about loving ourselves and some of us get a little uneasy. It feels almost prideful or like it's distracting to loving God and loving others, which seems like that's the more important thing. But I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus's ethic for loving others is to love our neighbor as ourselves, because it's an important part of the process. And so many times when we're struggling with sin or we're not as disciplined as we'd like to be and life isn't quite going the way we want it to, we beat ourselves up. How could I do that again? Right? Or we just settle into this mindset like, that's, that's just how I am. Like, I can't really help it. And the most practically helpful thing I might be able to give you this morning is this. It's stop beating yourself up. Stop beating yourself up and change your condemnation to curiosity. Change your condemnation of yourself to curiosity. Because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and we shouldn't condemn ourselves either. Instead, get curious. Ask yourself some questions. Do some digging. What do you really believe? Because remember, our beliefs are the root of all of these things. What do you really believe about yourself? What do you believe about God? How do you think he sees you? What do you think he wants from you? When you're doing something or acting in a way you don't want to, what's happening? What do you think you're really searching for? What's the underlying motivation? And I'm not talking about just giving Sunday school answers to those questions. I'm talking about really getting deep to what's really happening inside you. What do you really believe? And if your strategy in the past for changing or for you know, finding victory over a sin, becoming more disciplined has just been to kind of you know, pull up your bootstraps, force yourself to do it, white knuckle your way into getting the behavior right, or maybe it's been to shame yourself into it. This is so bad. Why do I keep doing that? I got to do this. I can't believe I do that. And here's the thing. Church, that will not work. What will work is resting and rooting in God's truth, beliefs about you and about him that are true, resting in his grace and doing the hard work of setting your mind on those things. And all that compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience that Paul just talked about, they apply to you too. They apply to ourselves just as much as we're called to show them to others. We're called to show them to ourselves. And if it sounds like I'm being light on sin this morning, like, oh, don't condemn yourself. Just be curious. Figure out why. I'd remind you again. Well, first off, sin is serious. Let me say that. Sin is serious. God has wrath towards sin, and he will bring justice towards those things. But again, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And shame will never lead us to repent. In fact, not only does it sometimes leave us stuck in it, it sometimes takes us deeper into it. This is why Paul talks about in another place that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And this is something I've had to grow into. Because depending on what your theological or church background is, there are all kinds of beliefs and approaches and theologies of sin and how to deal with it. 
that we can have. And I was thankfully really rooted in a strong understanding of the, the severity of sin and our total depravity and our need for God's grace. And I could tell you the truth too on the other side that there's no condemnation. We're forgiven and we're free. But kind of unintentionally, my focus, my emphasis probably tended to be for a long time on the other side of it. And so in my struggles and temptations, I found myself, you know, having these beliefs of I'm a sinner. That's just the way that I am. And those kind of beliefs never helped me to get out of my struggles or my temptations, right? It didn't help. In fact, it made them worse. And we can have the best theological education or background in the world and still have bad beliefs that infiltrate their way in and set up shop in our minds. And so we all have to continue to be curious, to examine ourselves without condemnation. Paul wraps up this section of Colossians 3 with this as we get ready to close. This is verses 16 and 17. He says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. As we wrap up, kind of the way that I want to summarize this little section that Paul gives us here is this. It's tell yourself the truth. And if I could add this, it's tell yourself the truth and let others tell you too. Right? What Paul says is we need to tell ourselves the truth by soaking in God's word, letting it dwell in us richly, speaking these things and these beliefs and truths about God and ourselves over us regularly. And when we do that, it gives the Holy Spirit the opportunity to be our helper, to root those things in us, and to actually transform and take care of our behaviors, right? to do some real work in us. And we also need to let others tell us those truths too. And I'm not just talking about listening to sermons or even being in a small group. It's really being open and vulnerable and deep, finding people that are curious about you and what's going on with you, who are willing to ask you some questions and that you're willing to let ask you some questions, who will bear with you and help you identify the beliefs that you have about yourself and about God that might be causing you issues. That real, deep, vulnerable community is so important to us. And if you're struggling with something, if you're somebody in here who has a sin you haven't been able to find victory over, who just has an area of life you need to let someone in to, then please, please invite somebody else into that process with you. Be honest and don't lie to one another. Paul says that actually in verse 9 in Colossians. I don't think we pulled that up on the screens, but right, he tells us to have this community, to be honest with others. So find somebody, whether it's a friend or pastor, or here at the church, we have Stephen ministers that are available to walk you through certain things. Or if it's something kind of more serious or difficult, there's no shame in getting help from a professional counselor. Counselors are such a common grace and a helpful tool for us to dig into these underlying beliefs that we have. In fact, you know, we talked about neuroplasticity earlier and kind of these truths in our culture and science that reflect the truths of Scripture. One of the most prominent tools in counseling is something called cognitive behavioral therapy. And it's the idea that our thoughts become feelings, which become actions. And I don't know about you, but that sounds a lot to me, like knowledge becomes understanding, and it turns out it becomes how we live and how we walk. 
And so counselors are great at helping you dig into these underlying beliefs about yourself and about God. And so whoever it is, a friend, a pastor, Stephen minister, a counselor, please invite somebody in to that process who will be curious about you. Because if we'll do that work of being curious, of focusing on our beliefs about God and ourselves, we'll see God work in us to give us that understanding and to help us walk in a way that's fully pleasing to him. It's not perfect, but it's pleasing. Would you guys pray with me? Father, I just pray right now that we would take the truths of your word and see you, God, through your Holy Spirit, transform us. Lord, I pray for people right now who have struggles and sins, God, maybe that are known or unknown to other people. Lord, for every single one of us, God, we all have areas where we need to get a little further with you, be made a little more like you. God, would you speak into each and every one of those areas, and would you allow us to rest in your love and your grace, to not condemn ourselves because you don't condemn us either, but to be curious and to dig into our beliefs about you and about ourselves, God. And would you speak truths into each and every one of those places? Would you help us to be a church of truth speakers to each other? God, that this would be a place of your grace and of curiosity, of deep digging, where we are transformed and made to live like you, and to then go out into the world and to share those things with others, God. Lord, help us to just follow you well. And thank you so much, Lord, that you make all of this possible, God, that we can call ourselves holy and beloved and redeemed and righteous in every other description and truth that you give us in the New Testament because of who you are and what you've done, God, that you came and you paid the price for our sin, that you took it on, so that we would have these new clothes of righteousness and love and kindness, compassion, humility to put on ourselves. So Lord, please just help us to do that. Help us to see the amazing gifts that you offer to us. Help us to walk in them. Lord, we love you and we thank you and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.